Alicia Pectral Pete was murdered on December 27th, 2017, and this is her mother's story. Hello. Hi, Don. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi. How are you doing today? How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. What was Alicia like as a baby? Oh my gosh. So I always wanted a little girl. And when I was blessed with Alicia, she was the best baby that you could ever ask for. She was funny. She was silly, like from day one. She was always like dancing and just like everybody was drawn to Alicia. She was like a social butterfly from the time she was a baby and she was from I want to say at least five maybe even smaller she loved purses and shoes and was just like a little beautiful diva um I, I mean she was just beautiful just inside and out it was just my everything just so cute and always wanted to do her own hair and dress herself and just she was just beautiful. And like I said, she was silly and so funny. And she loved roller skating and was always at grade skate from the time she was old enough to skate until she passed away. We had a few of her birthday parties there at the grade skate. And then when she was a teen, she was always there all the way up. I mean, she was always, that was one of her favorite places to be. And what type of a student was she like? She was a good student. Alicia was, as much as she was a social butterfly and stuff, when she got into, like, um, high school, that's when I feel like she um, started, like, being more shy and more uh, to herself. I feel like um, Alicia, and I'm not just saying this because she was my child, but she was so beautiful. I feel like she had a lot of people that envied her and hated her, you know, just because of the way she looked. She was a really cute girl and a lot of people were drawn to her. So in high school, she had a lot of friends, but then she started saying like, mom, I don't trust these. I don't like to be around them. I think they're, you know, she, she changed a little bit during high school. She started doing nails. Alicia, like I told you, was always into, you know, makeup and nails and just since she was a kid. So in high school, I forgot she had my whole house with girls lined up prior to school starting one year. She bought with her own money um, the drill and the powder, the acrylic and the nails, every color. She could do every design. And she wasn't licensed, so she couldn't charge, but people would, like, tip her, and that's how she would buy her, continue to buy her supplies. And she always had her nails done so beautifully, so long, and she did 
the whole high school at the school, all of their nails. And it got to where I was even like, Alicia, my house smells like a nail salon. Like it's giving me a headache. And she had, I mean, these girls lining up day after day after day, getting their nails done from her. I mean, she was my best friend. We went and cleaned houses together. She babysat, she pet sat, she did it all. Alicia was such an entrepreneur as a teenager. She had business cards made up for her nail business and a continuous flow of clients. When Alicia wasn't busy with school, her business, her friends or family, Alicia would repurpose anything her mother was going to get rid of. She would turn aged items into new beautiful pieces. Her mother was always amazed by her incredibly talented daughter. Alicia wanted a vanity, however they are very expensive and her creative mind was able to see items that she already had with a vision of how they could be. So this young girl went ahead and made herself a vanity. She added the back plate and lights to a table she already had and now when she sat at her table turned vanity, it lit up, not only literally but also due to the stunning smile that greeted her new mirror. Turning tired and aged items into wonderful creations is a talent that Alicia would endeavor whenever possible. The craftsmanship of these vanities was so exquisite, she began to sell them. Alicia's business mind was well-developed. To continue with her personal business adventures, Alicia knew that she would need to work as well, so she began her first job at McDonald's. Her mother, Dawn, was so proud of her daughter and would pop into the McDonald's, her pride bursting as she watched her daughter working. When McDonald's schedule no longer fit with Alicia's other projects, she started working in the Macy's warehouse. Dawn was always surprised that her 90-pound daughter never wanted to work somewhere more traditionally girly like a makeup department. Seeing as Alicia had a magnetic personality and was ultra-feminine in all other areas of her life, never stepping out of the house without looking her best. However, Alicia loved the independence of warehouse work. She could go into work clearly knowing every day what was expected from her, and there she would thrive. With her exceptional work ethic, she had no problem fulfilling the daily functions at work, all while being autonomous. At school, Alicia wasn't into playing sports or joining in on other school-related activities. She enjoyed going to football games with her friends, and at home she spent many hours listening to music. Alicia was born into a family that adored her, and this included her brother, who was two and a half years older than she was. As children, straight through their teens, everyone would refer to them as twins. Their extremely close bond was apparent to anybody that knew them. You could see them hanging out as best friends would. Her brother was her protector, and her everything. Alicia's father had 10 children. Her paternal side of the family had an extensive number of cousins for Alicia, all of whom adored her as well. 
my son, um, he just, it, he's taken this really, really hard. In fact, he refuses to talk about it because he just wants to pretend she's still like at college or a boyfriend's house or in a different state. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's very I mean, hard. Alicia was, and she loved her brother too. You know, anybody said anything or did anything with her. I mean, they were, they were inseparable. They were best friends as well. Alicia was 20 years old and wanted some independence. So she moved out of her mother's home and in with the grandmother she so loved. Dawn was a protective mother right from the time Alicia was born, always worrying about where Alicia was going and with whom. Dawn never felt comfortable when her daughter was without her. Even though Alicia was 20 years old, Dawn rarely felt at ease unless they were together. She would continuously be worrying about her safety. Alicia was a petite girl with a winning smile that drew people in to love her almost instantly. As a tiny girl, she wanted so badly to weigh a hundred pounds one day. She had a hearty appetite trying to attain this desired weight. She always had stashes of her favorite snacks in her drawers, Mexican candy and hot Cheetos. Tragically, Alicia's goal was never achieved. Alicia had been chatting with someone new online for about a month. When this man wanted to meet in person, Alicia and one of her many cousins went to meet him. Alicia was being safe, having never met him. She brought someone with her for this first encounter. On December 24th, trying to get to know him better, she and her cousin headed out to hang out with this new potential boyfriend. As that first date went well, Alicia was comfortable to go on a second date. Tragically, this was to become the night her life was taken from her, two days after Christmas. This is the story of Alicia Pectral Pete's murder. Tell me about the day you found out that your beautiful daughter had been murdered. So, um... Uh, so I spoke with Alicia on, we spoke every single day on the phone or social media. We always send each other Snapchats and silly memes. So I talked to her December 26th at, um, well, we were, I was working Christmas, that's what I was going to say. And, um, I work overnight at the hospital and she said, mom, that's fine. We can spend Christmas together the next day. So December 26th, um, that's the night she went out with the guy. Um, she met him on social media. I spoke with Alicia and I said, what is mama's princess doing? And she said, I'm getting ready to go out. And let me back up a little. So Alicia had a boyfriend that she was dating. And he adored her and loved her so much. And he even tried to commit suicide 10 days before Alicia was killed. And so Alicia said, Mom, I need to get away from him. I need to, you know, just mentally have him get the help he needed. 
he went to like a a mental like a hospital and he got on medication and he got out and Alicia's like, We're gonna be together, we're gonna get an apartment together. I just need him to get the help he needs, you know. But while he was doing that, that's when Alicia said, I need to go out and get my life together and get my life back, you know. I need to get back to work. She had got her job back at FedEx and was gonna start the the, the first of the year. So she had met this guy, went out with him, you know, um, she was, so that night she says, mom, um, her boyfriend showed up there while she was leaving with this guy. And I said, Alicia, don't go with him. He's still healing her boyfriend. He's still healing. You know, he, he's, you know, emotional. I'm so scared something could happen, you know, whatever, whatever. She left with the guy she met on social media. And from what I was told, I said, good night. Call me when you're home. So that night I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up because we were going to celebrate Christmas. The next day I was off. I took it off from work. And her phone went straight to voicemail. And my daughter's phone never. She was social media. She hadn't posted on social media in hours. She never texted me. She got home safe. She never, and I knew my heart sunk that something happened. And I started calling her, Alicia, please call me if you don't want to, you know, go do Christmas today. And I was going to surprise her and get her, like, a finance car. And I was like, if, if you're, you know, you're too tired or you're, you know, busy or whatever, just let me know. I'm worried. Dawn began calling everyone she could think of. Alicia's friends, her cousins, and the grandmother she had moved in with, and her brother. Dawn was becoming increasingly worried with each call hearing that her daughter was not there. The reassurances each of them consistently gave her that Alicia was an adult and she was surely okay did not ease her concern. Several people said how Dawn, in their opinions, overreacted when she couldn't contact her daughter right away. Despite that, Dawn was feeling increasingly anxious. I got a call from a private number, and I didn't answer it because I didn't. I don't answer private numbers normally. And they called back again. And I go, "Oh my gosh, it's Priyalisha. Maybe her phone was broke." So I answer it, and um. A man says, is this Dawn? And I said, yes, who is this? And this is detective such and such. From what I was told, she was a mile away from home. And she called her cousin, who lived with Grandma, too, and said, hey, unlock the door. We're going to turn up. It's Christmas. Yay, my whole family's there. Like, her family was all at Grandma's, and they were, and she never made it home. The man Alicia was on her second date with was claiming that Alicia shot herself. He claimed that he had a loaded gun beside him that he brought on this date, and that this wee little 90-pound girl somehow reached over him, grabbed the gun, and shot herself. Alicia was less than a mile from home. She was heading over there to continue her Christmas celebrations with her large and loving family. Alicia had called shortly before her death, when she was just up the road from her home, so close she could almost see it, to let her loving family know she would be there soon. Alicia was a particularly happy young woman 
with absolutely no signs of depression. Quite the contrary. She was enjoying her work, her continuously thriving, independent businesses. They were such a pleasure for her. The holidays were bringing her such joy and wonderfully good times as well. She had recently gained her independence living with her grandmother. Alicia's life was really good. While Dawn was searching for Alicia that day, she watched the news on television and she heard that a woman had been killed. Never giving it a second thought that it could possibly be her precious daughter, Alicia had never put herself in situations where violence would be a factor in her life. Next, Dawn had to deal with insensitive detectives who didn't have the compassion needed to speak with the mother of a murder victim. The detective has been uh, very rude, very um, uh, unempathetic. He tells me over the phone, I said, where is she? I need to make sure it's her. He goes, nope, you've already identified her with her ID. And um, it's now a pending homicide. And we'll contact you. He calls me and says, I'm busy working on other cases. And every time you you call me or send me an email, you're taken away from. And I was just, like, furious. Like, what? whose side are you on? Like, I started dealing with his surgeon, sergeant. And, um, like I said, the, the case is still an open case. It's a pending case. He told me that he's underworked and overpaid. He's already at 40 plus hours and he was in there working on a holiday. And, um, basically there's 21 detectives in Phoenix and they're all overworked. My daughter's grandmother was her life. Even, I mean, me and grandma were her everything, but I can even say grandma was even more than me to Alicia. She adored and loved her grandmother. Her grandmother is all the kids is number one. You know, she's just that special. And um, so the grandma Judy told the detective, please don't tell Dawn, let us get her here because she's been worried all day. And he still chose to call me. And I just don't get it. When Dawn arrived at Alicia's home, her grandmother's home, the family had already gathered. Alicia's ex-boyfriend had to be told of her murder, and he absolutely lost it. He loved Alicia so much and felt completely devastated at the thought of never seeing her again, never having the chance to repair their relationship like they had spoken of. Understandably, Dawn so wished Alicia never met this new person. After their date on the 24th, Dawn saw several videos of her beautiful daughter laughing and seemingly having such a good time with this new guy and her cousin. There was no cause for concern that a second date would take place. However, on this second date, this is when things went dreadfully sideways. Alicia's very recent ex-boyfriend apparently showed up on their date. It seems Alicia told the new guy she wanted to go home to be with her family at some point during their date and that her ex-boyfriend would be at her family celebration. 
the new guy wanted to go as well. But Alicia explained that after two dates, it was just too soon and her family wouldn't appreciate him being there. This angered the new guy. He felt used and deceived. This presumably sparked the fight between them. This new guy that Alicia had only gone on one previous date with and they barely knew each other? This guy that wanted to meet her family already during a family celebration? This guy who was mad that her ex intruded on their date? Everything suggests that this was what angered him to a boiling point that made him irate, that made him end this beautiful 20-year-old's life. I can't even see how she even went out with this guy. I, I look at him and go, oh my, what the, was she, I mean, she's so beautiful inside and out, and he just looks so dark inside his soul, like even in his mugshot, he looks evil, like no remorse, like just evil. It was almost home, and it was the holiday, and it was, you know, her family was there. It just makes no sense. Like, why? He drove around with her body in the car for a while and then called 911. The detectives have submitted charges for this man to be charged with the murder of Alicia. Because of lengthy waits due to the coronavirus, this case is still pending. The detectives are very clear that this was not a suicide as all evidence points to murder. This man's story has changed several times and he has lied continuously to the detectives. His first story was that she shot and killed herself. Next, he went on to say that there was a tussle over the gun and it accidentally went off, that this 90-pound girl overpowered him. When he picked her up for their date, he had a loaded gun in the car. The detectives say that this in itself is not uncommon. However, it is all of the other evidence that points to murder. They are just waiting for the charges to be laid. Dawn is devastated, of course, and demands justice for her daughter. Now, how has this murder of your beautiful and lovely and entrepreneur daughter how what has it done and how has it affected your life over the over the past while well um the first year i wanted to die and even wrote several suicide letters um i left my husband i hated him because he had to continue to work and uh, go on with life. And I just couldn't understand how you can go on with life after something so tragic. Um, I started to drink a lot. I hated pretty much everyone, my closest best friends I'm no longer friends with. Um, because I just felt that they claimed they didn't know what to say or how to be there, but I felt they abandoned me. Um, I gained 30 pounds. I didn't care how I looked, and I, I just gave up on life the first year. The second year, I was angry and wanting to just um, 
I started thinking about, you know, you just think about revenge and just evilness. And instead, I, you know, got the help at my Parents of Murdered Children group, and I started speaking at the prison to inmates and just going to my meetings and healing and knowing my child wouldn't want me dead or in jail and my son needed me and my grandchildren needed me. And this year is the third year and I've, I have to say this is like my acceptance year that she's not coming back because I don't know why, but I thought she was coming back. The sadness this mother feels is like an enormous weight holding her down. Dawn is struggling with the loss of her daughter. The county attorney has the case now, and the family is just waiting for formal charges to be pressed. And the family has to just wait. They have been told it often takes years before charges are laid. As there is no time limit to charge someone with murder, the detectives say it is better to wait until the thorough investigation has been completed and have all of the evidence than to go to court without adequate information. So they wait. Don's son has deep struggles as well. He wanted revenge at first, as did many of the family members, including Don. An eye for an eye. They have worked through that and know that isn't something you do. Her son was in a relationship at the time that his sister was murdered with a girl that Dawn describes as wonderful. Her son could not stay in that relationship. He just wasn't able to love anymore at that time after his sister was killed. Love was not an emotion that he could handle and their relationship deteriorated. Another casualty in the aftermath of a murder of a loved one. He has met a new girl and they have a daughter now. This baby girl has been a blessing to Dawn. She was due to be born in November, being born in December instead, the month that her daughter, her best friend, was killed. The young grandchild looks a lot like Alicia and is everything that both her son and she needed. This birth has brought joy back into their family during a time when they needed it most. And what have you done to, you know, get through each day? Or do you have specific coping mechanisms you use? Um, well, I was using alcohol, and I came to the realization that that's not going to get me anywhere, except, you know, that's not healthy. It's not. So um, what I've just recently started doing was, like, I listen to music. I've always loved music, Alicia and me. I mean, that was our thing, music, music, music. So I listen to music. I work out. Um I try to get my granddaughters as much as possible and just have them. Uh, I have my POMC family, which, and without them, I don't. I wouldn't have been able to even make it that first year. Um, and then I have my husband. I do have a great circle of friends. I've lost some of my best friends, but I've gained some amazing friends and support and supportive friends. Um, and I work a lot, so that's what I just try to stay busy. And what type of advice would you give to someone else that's going through a tragedy like you are? 
somebody that lost their child to an murder, don't blame yourself because there's so many um, of us in Alicia's family. We blame ourselves. Well, what if this? What if that? What if I didn't work Christmas? What if I didn't let her go that night? Grandma's like, what if I just would have told her stay home that night, you know, after the argument with her ex and, you know, that and stuff. Like, just don't give up fighting for your child. Don't let their memory um, fade away. And just don't blame yourself. I feel like, and be there for your other children. I feel like that's so hard. You don't want to forget about your other children and just let them know that they're still just as important important in your life as your child you lost. And um, one of the hardest things for me, too, is when people ask, do you have children? And I would just freak out. What do you say? What do you say? Because I do have two children. So I always say I have two children. I have one in heaven and I have, you know, a 25 year old son. Like I just, and just never give up, like never forget about your child and don't let the devil win. Like don't let those thoughts of suicide, those thoughts of anger, those thoughts of regret, those, all those thoughts win. You have to fight for your child and be that voice for them. And is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? No, just I want justice for my child and continue to pray. The person who murdered her daughter has never reached out to the family. That is something Don very much would have liked. She feels his day in court is not only about criminal prosecution, but also about having an apology and hearing the truth from him. Whether he spends one day or the rest of his life in jail, nothing will bring Alicia back. Don wants him to be held accountable for his actions. Don has reached out to the SOS program through the Parents of Murdered Children. This is a second opinion service that helps families get justice. Don wants a third party to write up a proper assessment of Alicia's murder so she has that to help her fight, if need be. Don plans to fight for Alicia and won't hesitate to go above the level of her local police department to see to it that justice is served. She is still waiting patiently for someone to finally move on this case, on the county attorney to wake up and find the time to make her daughter's murder a priority, for the detectives to continue working, gathering all the evidence. But patience wanes thin at some point, and then Dawn will be ready to seek proper justice for her beloved daughter, Alicia. Thank you very much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and have a good day. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, 
I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Mourning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at mourningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.